my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. How's it going, Grant? How's it going, Zach? How's it going, Ron? How are you guys all doing? Doing pretty well. It's been a, a- pretty crazy last you know four or five days so excited to you know debrief on all this stuff here but uh, yeah yeah i'm doing well zach ron how you guys doing doing great crazy trying to keep up with everything that's been happening this week it's it's been a lot yeah grant i was gonna oh go ahead ron i was gonna reiterate it it's been it's been a hell of a 48 hours i'll tell you that yeah, I, I can imagine. I have been heads down still uploading video content from Bitcoin 2023, but obviously I've been on Twitter and seen the news with obviously Binance and Coinbase and the SEC, you know, kind of throwing punches at each other. But yeah, I mean, Grant, I, I was bummed. I didn't get to see you at all at Bitcoin 2023, but it looked like, you know, I, I have seen the talks that you and David kind of led or were on the panels of. So all in all, I hope you had a good time and I hope BPI had a successful event as well. Yeah, it was great. I, I thought it was super valuable. Definitely, you know, some of the, the 
tone was different from last year and in some ways you know different was better and so yeah definitely enjoyed the the conference quite a bit I always feel like a chicken running around with my head cut off you know at the the Bitcoin conference but in a good way right there's just so much to do all all the people there so yeah it was great you guys want to kick this off yeah that works for me yeah Grant if you want to take it away and then kind of kick it off and then we'll get into the discussion I know we're kind of I think waiting for David Zell still I don't know if he'll join from his personal handle or BPI, but when he gets here, I'll, I'll pull him up. Awesome. All right. Yeah, let's get into this. So as we were talking about it at the start, the last 48 hours have been insane. And then I guess rewind back to Friday and, you know, we got a 160 page discussion draft of a piece of legislation from the from the House. And so it has been a, a pretty crazy week. I really just want to use this time to talk about everything that's happened and then really like bring it back to Bitcoin, right? Because a lot of this is much bigger than Bitcoin, right? A lot of this affects the broader crypto industry. It affects, you know, digital securities and, and unregistered securities like exchanges. I mean, there, there are a billion and one things that, you know, the last week ha- has touched. And what I want to do is I want to, you know, talk about all that broadly, but then kind of laser focus back in on, you know, how does this affect Bitcoin, if at all? So as a reminder, we're going to cover the market structure bill that was released on, on Friday or the discussion draft. This is attempting to, to provide the, you know, the adage that we've heard over and over again. You know, I was kind of getting annoyed of hearing the term like regulatory clarity because I felt like a lot of people you know, would say regulatory clarity, but not actually you know, know what that means. So it's nice to have something concrete to look at and at least you know, base discussions off there. And then obviously the last 48 hours, the SEC, you know, suing Binance and suing Coinbase, you know, back to back, literally within 48 hours of each other. So um, with that said, let's kick it off with intros and then we will jump into it. Zach, you want to go first? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Zach Shapiro. Sorry, my background's a little bit loud right now. I'm walking between things here. Legal Studies Fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute and, and Council for the Institute. Kyle? Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Kyle Schnapps. I'm Director of Public Policy at Foundry, which is a major player in the Bitcoin pool space and also offering a variety of different services for miners. I'm also a co-founder of BTC Vets, which is a group of a large and growing group of military vets and former intelligence officers and former State Department officials who are advocating for Bitcoin in DC from a position of mass security and Bitcoin's importance in the future of that. So happy to be here with everybody and looking forward to the discussion. And Ron. Hey y'all, Ron Hammond with the Blockchain Association. We are a DC-based trade association of coin companies like Foundry, the DCG and others. And we also represent folks all across the ecosystem from NFTs, exchanges, and what have you. So before that, I did legislation on crypto for Warren Davidson in the House. He's the representative from Ohio and the vice chair of that digital asset subcommittee, which is so important right now, given all the legislation going on. So happy to be here and excited to get this conversation going. So Ron, if you don't mind, I'd like you to kick us off. I saw that you were at the, the hearing that took place yesterday in the Agriculture Committee in the House, you know, with Chairman Rostin Bentham and, and many others from the, you know, CFTC. I'm curious for you, right, your boots on the ground, Friday, this discussion draft drops, Tuesday, there's this hearing, and in 
you know, the past couple of days, the, the SEC has taken these actions that we talked about. So from your perspective, like, basically, I'm going to let you tell us where, where we want to start. What's most pressing on your end? And could you give us kind of a general overview or summary of, I guess, the first topic that you want to hit on? Sure, sure thing. So I think it's important to start probably with Congress, because a lot of this is going to be the, the center of focus probably for the next two months, at least, and quite some time afterwards. But I think these next two months are probably the most critical for crypto legislation ever that we've ever had. And again, I've worked on crypto legislation for about six years, a little over that now. And I've, it's going to be these next two months are incredibly important, probably the most important to date. But just for a high level for folks here. You know, Congress has been educating themselves on all things crypto, it's in large part thanks to groups like you know, the Bitcoin Policy Institute, Blockchain Association, and, and, and several other companies and trade associations, and, and individuals candidly too. And so Congress has been learning more about the issue, and Patrick McHenry, who is the chair of financial services, as well as Glenn Thompson, who is the chair of the House Agriculture Committee, because that's important because they have the CFTC jurisdiction, uh, they made a priority for this Congress to get a crypto market structure bill finalized. And when they mean market structure, largely they mean a comprehensive regulatory framework, SEC and CFTC. And it's important that both these committees work together because it's you just can't have one piece without the other. You can't have an SEC registration uh, piece without having some sort of CFTC spot market piece as well. These both go hand in hand, but as Congress works, you have to go through two different committees. And that's very, very tough. It's tough for any subject matter, let alone crypto. And so the committee has been holding hearings all year leading up to this moment, trying to find out where the regulatory gaps are, trying to see what makes sense for prudential regulation and trying to see what other countries are doing as well, like the EU with Mika recently passing. And so all this was happening when we're having a lot of enforcement actions from SEC especially, but we're seeing that from the CFTC as well. There's been a lot of enforcement actions, some the, we disagree with here in D.C., others make a little more sense. But at the end of the day, this is what's been happening. It's been haphazard, case by case, and that's no way to have a, uh, a regulatory framework with these case by case bases that a lot of lawyers and folks in the industry are just second guessing what they can and can't do. And you have other jurisdictions, again, like the EU, who have clear rules now. So, so there, this culmination of this effort came down to the market structure bill. It's, uh, as Grant said, it's a pretty long draft, over 160 pages plus, and it covers quite a lot. And it's, it builds off a lot of bipartisan bills in the past that have been introduced in the years prior. And it also introduces a lot of new elements as well. So I'll get more into the bill text later on. But then the, the curious thing is that we see a pretty polarized as well as politicized SEC recently. We've seen they have been very strategic in their comms and media push. They're, they usually timed a lot of their crypto pushes right when the Congress is working on hearings. He again, so has dropped op-eds one hour before hearings. He's dropped enforcement actions now two days after the bill dropped. And he's being pretty sneaky about, not just sneaky, he's being pretty politically savvy with this. I've never seen anything like this. I've talked to actually a lot of my colleagues as well as reporters who were following the SEC for quite some time and other banking regulators. And they agree, this is a pretty politically savvy but polarized SEC that really does try to attack Congress for trying to get into this lane in its mind. So, so I'll, I'll pause there because the Binance suit and the Coinbase suit are vastly different, but at the same time, there was a reason why he went after those in that order, as well as trying to loop them together as being part of the same, and in, in Chair Gensler's mind, non-compliant crypto industry. 
when the matter of fact is these are both two very different cases, it is very likely we will see some more enforcement actions in the near term. And this is a direct response to Congress trying to put out this market structure bill, which is pretty, it's pretty unfortunate to see, but this is the, the state of play here in DC, unfortunately. So Zach, I think I want to, you know, hear from you a little bit dealing in, you know, securities law and, and basically trying to navigate this landscape for a while. I think one of the things that, you know, I've come back to time and time again is that, you know, Bitcoin seems pretty divorced from a lot of the issues that, you know, that we're facing here, right? Like, you know, both the SEC and CFTC have said at various points, Bitcoin is a commodity. It doesn't seem like they're kind of the, the direct opponents of Bitcoin in, in a lot of these cases. But, you know, one of the things that comes up time and time again is that Bitcoin kind of ends up as like collateral or Bitcoin users end up in, the, in collateral damage, essentially, where even if something is impacting, you know, Binance or Coinbase, there are these second and third order effects that do affect Bitcoin users in some ways. And so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you about a couple of different things. One is like, why, why is this market structure, you know, not coming from the SEC or CFTC in the first place? Is it Congress's role or is it the regulatory bodies to, you know, make, make these rules from your perspective? Uh, and then two, just curious to hear like, you know, your broader thoughts on, on how the actions that we've seen over the past week or so have affected Bitcoin or are going to affect Bitcoin? Yeah, for, for sure. So I think the reason why you're seeing very different types of actions from the lawmakers versus agencies like the SEC is, is really about the incentives involved, right? Lawmakers are really more sort of beholden to the needs of their constituents. Constituents really want clear rulemaking, right? You know, if they're involved in this industry at all, whether it's Bitcoin or other digital assets, they sort of want rules on the table. On the other hand, the SEC and the CFTC in particular are sort of at war with each other over who's going to get to be the prime regulator for digital assets. And the way the SEC has been doing this battle is to use a category of, so they have, SEC has jurisdiction over securities and securities exchanges. And there are different types of securities, right? You can have equity, like ownership in a company. You can have debt, like bonds. And then there's this other catch-all category called investment contracts that were developed by case law stemming out of the Securities Act about 80 years ago. And the whether or not something is investment contract, you know, if, if you're equity in a company, you're more, it's more or less clear that it's equity in a company. If you have something that's a note, in most cases, it's pretty clear that it's a note or a bond, although there are some cases like with Kraken and, and BlockFi and, and some of these other crypto banks where there have been blurred lines. But the weird category are these investment contracts. And whether or not something is an investment contract is necessarily a factual circumstances case, right? And it's governed by this, you know, judicially made test called the Howey test has these four elements you've probably all heard before that in summary asks, you know, are you as the investor investing in some sort of scheme where you're relying on the work of a third party in order to make your investment pay off? And because the you know, investment contract law is formulated that way, it is true that you can't really just set out a list of here are the things that are investment contracts and here are the things that are not. There are some things that are clearly investment contracts, right? And, uh, you know, my two cents is in the Ripple case, I think that's a pretty clear cut that XRP is an asset that you're really reliant on Ripple Labs if that thing is ever going to be worth anything. But then at the other end of the spectrum, you have something like Bitcoin, right, where Absolutely, people are, you know, investing in Bitcoin. Some people are, are using it in their day-to-day -day life. Many people are speculating on the future of Bitcoin and hoping the U.S. dollar price goes up. 
but there is no particular party you're reliant on for Bitcoin price to go up, right? There, there isn't a Bitcoin company. Whoever created Bitcoin is not in the picture anymore. Yes, there are miners and there are node runners and there are holders, but you know, any one of those parties could go away and Bitcoin would still be fine. That really wouldn't impact the core of the investment case for Bitcoin. So the first thing to do is really just underscore that from a securities law perspective, Bitcoin is, I think, very safely a commodity. Both, you know, we know that because of statements by government officials, including the SEC, but also that's just kind of how the law works. Bitcoin doesn't function like these other things do. But the SEC, beyond the fact that, you know, there is this facts and circumstances test to determine what's an investment contract and what's not, the SEC has been cagey about how it thinks these rules apply. And the reason for that, I think, is twofold. One is it doesn't want to sort of set the territory of where its jurisdiction ends and the CFTC begins. But then the other is they're worried that people in the digital asset space, both exchanges and I think especially people creating decentralized finance products, if they announce a very clear set of rules and here's how not to be an investment contract, people will just innovate right around that. And then the exceptions will swallow the rules. And so now I think it is actually really interesting to see these cases. There are all sorts of gripes you can have if you're a token issuer or an exchange on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, it's, it's been clear that something like this has been coming for a long time. But I think the best we can hope for as a result of these actions is to get some clarity from the courts, right? The, the ultimate arbiter under the Howey test of what is an investment contract and what is not, that authority doesn't belong with the SEC. It, it belongs with federal judges in the United States. And so I'm very interested to see sort of how the... Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee. A city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. The die lands here. So, yeah, that, that does tie back to the market structure, you know, discussion draft a little bit because it attempts to define, you know, a few terms that have been thrown around quite a bit and that I think ends up being the crux in many cases of, you know, what is a security and what a, what's a commodity. I would encourage, you know, everybody, if you're interested to, to look up, you know, digital asset market structure, bill draft and control F or, you know, command F or whatever it is and search, you know, for decentralized, like, decentralized or decentralization and look at the definition because to Zach's point, they're creating these, you know, these rules that effectively say, Hey, you know, this project isn't sufficiently decentralized. If, you know, someone owns more than 5% of the coins and has made some action in the code over the last three months, right? That's like one example of a provision that's in there that would, you know, cause them to say, 
you know, a project is not decentralized or, you know, if a single person or entity owns more than 20% of the coins and the project isn't, you know, sufficiently decentralized, right? There are many examples like in that where they try to define that. So it definitely seems like once you create those rules, yeah, the question becomes, well, is something sufficiently decentralized if, you know, someone owns 4.9% of the coins and is making, you know, changes on the code? Like why, why is that? okay, but 5% is not okay, right? So there become these kind of arbitrary rules that are that are being created. So in some ways, I, I understand why the SEC is approaching this from like every case, you know, is, is different because I imagine that, that I, there is some merit to that. On the other hand, you got 20,000 of these different cryptos and you need some way to actually like sift through the projects and come to some conclusions about like what they are and what they are not and, and you know how people can interact with them so i i don't know it's a very very political answer it kind of sucks but you know I, I see both sides kyle i have a statement i'm gonna make and i want to hear your thoughts on this actually i want to hear you know everyone's thoughts if you have any but it's something i've been mulling over for a while now actually and it's it's essentially I don't think the SEC is Bitcoin's enemy. I, I think, yes, you know, they, they've been cagey about a lot of things. I think they've made a lot of like anti-crypto actions, but I, I don't see a lot of anti-Bitcoin actions. That said, like I said earlier, there are a lot of actions that the SEC can take, for example, like suing Binance or, or Coinbase that can have a lot of second and third order effects that do really impact Bitcoin. But you know, what would what would you guys say like to to that statement? The SEC is not Bitcoin's enemy. Like how, how would you respond to that? Yeah, it's 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 certainly an interesting it's certainly an interesting thought, Grant. I mean from 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 my perspective, I believe that the SEC under Chair Gensler knows that it cannot go directly after Bitcoin due to Bitcoin's very unique origins. Right. And so Gensler knows that he can't attack it directly. And so what we see now is going after a bunch of the on and off ramps to the technology. Now, we know that just because he picked on, he's trying to pick on a couple exchanges that doesn't limit, you know, most savvy people's ability to to buy Bitcoin. But it will certainly have an impact in terms of new investors in the future. I, I will say that I believe that this is part of a larger system that's been going on for two years now under the Biden administration. And it's part of the reason why so many people, including us at Foundry, fought so hard against the New York moratorium on Bitcoin mining. And that is, there has been a divide and conquer strategy here that has been, even as a former government person myself, I've been amazed at the sort of coordination that has been occurring in during under this administration specifically on this especially given a lot of other chaos and a lot of other aspects of, of government a lot of other issues and that divide and conquer is that well we can't really go and attack bitcoin from a regulatory perspective as much and so we're going to go after that from the side from the esg side from the environmental side and while that's happening we're going to go after or soon thereafter we're going to start going after the rest of the crypto industry through regulatory enforcement. And part of the result of this 
or I would say this, this strategy has been, you know, it's been pretty good and effective because it's playing on a lot of the, the divisions within the Bitcoin and, and crypto communities as a whole. And it's, it's allowed them to divide and conquer at certain times. And so you have proof of work folks who are fighting over, you know, proof of work folks that are fighting a certain bill and not getting help from proof of stake folks and proof of stake folks fighting over, you know, a certain aspect of a bill and not getting help from proof of work folks. And so there really needs to be some consideration of like, when do we try to put these things aside in just in terms of public policy, at least, and, and try to fight, fight this battle because we have been effectively divided and conquered even within the, just within the Bitcoin community itself, there's constant divisions. And so this is, this is a, a major problem. And, and with respect to the, the market structure bill, I think that it's something that we're at the very beginning. It is very malleable at this point. And McHenry has said that this is something, this is a starting point. But I do believe it's something we need to support, if only for the fact that it does, it does hem in some of Gensler's options. You know, right now he is able to try to cram brand new technologies into century old law. And this gives him tremendous latitude to act with discrimination and discretion. And so developing new rules by which he must abide limits his, you know, apparent omnipotence here <laughs> in terms of going after whomever he wants. And so I think if we want to protect, you know, certain on and off ramps to Bitcoin, especially for a public that may be looking at the technology or as an investment for the first time, or if we have folks that want to get into this, but want to feel, you know, quote unquote safe. We, we we may want to try to like stand behind this and make sure that those on and off ramps are are able to exist and that we're able to have these that are not controlled by or subsumed by some of the, the old players on Wall Street. That makes a lot of sense. What, what does everyone else think? I to- totally agree with that. I, I would say one area where I would point towards uh, the SEC's jurisdiction in and around Bitcoin that does give me pause is the comments from Chair Gensler around the prospect of an approval of a Bitcoin spot ETF. And it really seems like over the last couple of years, the SEC is almost you know, holding the, the prospect of the spot ETF hostage until they can get the compliance, especially the market surveillance they want out of the exchanges in the United States. Yeah, those arguments have usually always been about surveillance sharing agreements so that they can trust that the volume and the price of Bitcoin is as reported. If you have exchanges lying rampantly around the world, wash trading, we now learned a bunch about the wash trading at Binance by CZs on market makers, using even customer funds possibly, you know, it makes it really difficult to approve a product where you don't actually know what the price is. There are several index providers that spend, you know, months on end with committees trying to figure out what is the true volume of Bitcoin transactions around the world. You have OTC never report their volume. You have exchanges lying. A bunch of things are over in Asia with different jurisdictions that have like very little oversight. So it's it is difficult in that respect. But you know, we'll see. I don't know. He seems to be pretty positive on Bitcoin. I also have seen a few people sharing some comments that, you know, indicate maybe his views on Bitcoin are changing. So we'll see. I'll add to that too, if it helps out. You know, Zach's 
100% on point on the Bitcoin spot ETF. As That was the first thing that came to mind as a negative view from the SEC, at least on Bitcoin in particular. You know, we've seen his view to Aaron's point, the SEC underneath Gensler has changed his opinion. Uh, I mean, again, Ethereum is the first one that comes to mind, but we've even started seeing his language change a little bit recently when it comes to... Bitcoin. I'm not sure his opinion changed. It just, he, he became conventional. And now he has to has to change the way he speaks because he's part of five. He's rather rather than just speaking in his own opinion. At least we saw the narrative or the, the way he was framing it. He started off saying, you know, might be a security or sorry, might be a commodity, might be a security. And then he went to full on to, you know, the enforcement action we're seeing with the Kraken settlement, uh, as well as, you know, some other actions. <laughs> some have well, those were staking it, so. as a service program. So the staking as a service, when you give your money to someone who go, is going to manage an investment program for you using Ethereum, well, that's an investment contract. But regarding Ethereum itself, Gensler is on record saying that Ethereum's ICO passed the Howey test. Speaking from his personal opinion, then when he became commissioner, he hasn't said whether or not Ethereum currently or as his ICO was a security because he's the commissioner now and he's part of a five-person commission. Well, I mean, if you saw the House hearing with Patrick McHenry and his debate going back and forth with him, the lack of an answer when squarely asked what's the status or his view of Ethereum, he did not say the five-person commissioner. It was just he did not give an answer. And went to fact, to the yeah, fact I, I don't think we've seen any commissioner ever in the history of the SEC say that something is illegal before filing an enforcement action against that entity. So the SEC hasn't filed an enforcement action. So why would Gensler say publicly that something is illegal before the SEC, as a commission of five, has filed an enforcement action? Well, I'll, 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 I'll leave this for the, for the legal experts here, but um, again, at least from the political side here, from what you know, the years I've been seeing and seeing this play out, candidly, the, the, the tone shift and the legal framing of it, at least to Congress, has been more on the security side here. And I think it's also telling from some things probably coming down the pipeline uh, from the SEC. I can't unfortunately talk about, but at least again, and we also have other ones like, let's take Polkadot, for example, one that the, there hasn't been a public statement about whether or not from the SEC, at least if they are a security or commodity, but the Web3 Foundation has said, we talked to the SEC and we got the clearance that we are viewed as a uh, commodity, which would technically, I guess, make it the second commodity on the token side, at least officially, as it currently stands here today. And we haven't seen that token in particular being brought up in any of the lawsuits as securities at the moment. But that's another one, another one I'm mostly monitoring as well, because we're seeing a pretty evolving shift here. But again, as expected, uh, at least underneath the SEC at the current moment. The, the Web3 Alliance or whatever's legal opinion is worth fucking dog shit. It's exactly. worth that. Oh, man. Okay. <laughs> Let's, Grant, I, I wanna... Grant, if I could just add yeah. something real quick. You know, I, I think there's there's also so this this is somewhat speculative, but there there is a sort of leadership analysis that can sometimes be helpful in trying to game where somebody may be going. And that's to try to understand some of their motivations here. And, and when I think of Chair Gensler, who perhaps entered in when he was coming into the position with a lot in the Bitcoin and crypto spaces, respectively, saying, you know, well, this this person has a lot of experience with this and will approach this from an intellectual standpoint and and be a good faith actor which which we which i think everybody has has found that to not be true and i think that's because we discounted the fact that 
Chair Gensler is a political actor here, and it's no secret in Washington that he has much higher ambitions than being SEC chairman. And as everybody's hinted to, including you, Grant, here, is that they've noticed this incredible coordination with the press. And that is a very sort of self-aggrandizing strategy, I think. He's trying to boost his own star. And crypto is is one of the and Bitcoin and crypto are, are is one of the best ways to get a lot of press on that. And so I think we have to understand that this is a political actor and that, you know, his positions may change based on based on whim and what is best for his personal career and what is best for the administration, as opposed to what is necessarily best for the business interests of the crypto community has been obvious. So I we, we certainly need to understand this from a standpoint of of understanding him as a leader and what his motivations may be. And I, I think from my best judgment, what I just laid out is has been proven proven to be true. And so what he may be saying yesterday it may be very different a few months from now. If he has some success working on certain crypto current you know, working against certain cryptocurrencies, there's no there's no way to say he won't apply that same mentality to Bitcoin if it if it's needed, especially during especially if Biden was able to win a second term and they have a lame duck presidency where there's, it's really no holds barred. So this is, I think this is a great theme that we can continue yeah, I with. Think with. That's somewhat smart. There is certainly interesting timing in the two lawsuits being announced quickly before Gensler was going to be involved in a congressional, you know, possibly move to change some of his authority. So he's saying, you know, I'm very serious about this. I'm willing to go after the biggest two exchanges in the world. And I'm very clear in terms of, you know, what I'm doing. Here are some additional examples. If you're wondering what are securities that are listed on these exchanges, here's, you know, a dozen additional ones with full explanations signed by all five commissioners about why we believe these were securities. This is a case-by-case basis. We can do it as needed as we file enforcement actions. You know, you don't need to change my authority. So. I think that's that's smart. I think there's I've heard credible arguments that there is, you know, he, he was quick to to put these in. And even some of the language in the temporary restraining order seemed very odd. It doesn't seem like a normally written and edited document. It seems like some of the language is rushed because they wanted to get this through so quickly. I mean, of course, it's a temporary restraining order. It's everything is very accelerated and documents can't be edited as quickly. But I think they're trying to move quickly and show that they they know what to do. They're, they're doing their job and they, they don't need too much changed about their responsibilities. Yeah. I want to, I want to tie this back to the original question, which is how does this all affect Bitcoin? Right? So we've got FTX blows up six months ago and it has an effect on Bitcoin's price. I think we've talked ad nauseum about this point about the political ramifications of how negative actions in the crypto industry are prone to still affecting Bitcoin users like really heavily, right? There, there's not enough distinction between many of these things. Like even though you can look the, at the FTX situation and go, hey, that's straight up fraud and has nothing to do with Bitcoin. There's still a bunch of people who, you know, view it as a, a Bitcoin issue. And so that's my question here with the SEC and Binance and Coinbase you know, these lawsuits in general, you know, how do they affect Bitcoin in the short term? And then some of the things that are alleged in the in the lawsuits, whether that's, you know, hosting unregistered securities or commingling of funds or any of any of the things that are alleged in, in either lawsuit, you know, 
what are some things that like that Bitcoiners really have to worry about, whether that's from just a straight up like a market perspective or from a political perspective moving forward? I have to take the first crack, but also defer to others here. You know, I think at least on the the Bitcoin side of things here, it's a negative. It's a continuation of the negative tones towards Bitcoin. You know, we're seeing actually a decent amount of this on Capitol Hill very recently. I've had, a, especially on the Democrat side, but even on the Republican side. And now, mind you, again, there's skeptics all over all over Congress, and we've realized it's not based on political party largely. It's based off age. Chuck Grassley, one of the oldest Republican senators, has tweeted against Bitcoin. Donald Trump has, but on the same side, we've seen Elizabeth Warren and others on the Democrat side. And again, these are older members of Congress. These are not the younger ones, like the Richie Torreses, the Warren Davidsons, that are y- younger and understand the technology a lot more. But what we're seeing now, right, at least from my perspective on the Hill, is that some members are saying this is supposed to revolutionize the entire world, and it's been over 10 years, and you have nothing to show for it, industry. Again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a lot of this here, but another member of asked us, you know, Bitcoin needs its chat GPT moment. It needs its big retail focus. So, you know, this you talk about this alternative currency and it's not in their, again, in their old minds here. So, and I think that's the, the issue. And I think Kyle did a good job explaining this earlier is that, you know, I know there's a lot of tribalism in, in the crypto space, but, you know, we're pretty linked right now, you know, whether it's DeFi or whether it's the other tokens out there or Bitcoin itself or the custody side, there's a lot of elements here that have a a wide range of implications and public perception in Capitol Hill is also a key driver for a lot of these things. And FTX really empowered the skeptics. And I think we saw that from the White House Council of Economics Advisors report back in March of this year, which pretty much read as a, I told you so, this is all a scam in reference to the whole entire crypto space. And that's damaging, whether you're Bitcoin, you know, XRP, XLM, all the other tokens, custody folks, you name it. This is a pretty damning mindset. And that leads to a lot of the regulation, skepticism, as well as attacks on the industry. We've already seen a Bitcoin mining hearing in the Senate that was pretty hostile. We've seen a tax proposal from the White House that's really aggressive, up to 30%. And then several other just negative statements, again, largely from the Democrat side. And But it's happened on the Republican side as well. I've seen it more in private settings. But I just urge folks that crypto is viewed as one whole entity here on Capitol Hill. You know, we do our best to make sure we differentiate folks so they can understand better and, and write legislation and regulation better. But at the same time, perception publicly in DC is a huge factor and driver. Yeah, I would, um, I would, I, I, I have to, I have to foot stomp that for folks as, you know, Ron does a lot of meetings. I do a lot of meetings both in, you know, really hardcore Democrat-led states, and then also in D.C. with both sides. And I can even spend an hour teaching somebody about Bitcoin and have the policymaker, you know, nodding their head and getting it and then see them three months later, and they will make no distinction between Bitcoin and some other coin. And so it's it's very frustrating, but it is something that... that <laughs> that we have to deal with. And so I'd say one of the biggest risks to answer your question is this, is this conflation. And if it's conflated in their minds, that means it's also conflated in the minds of a lot of the people they represent. And so I think, you know, it's, it sounds trite, but really the more we can do to educate folks on, on legitimate strong projects, or at, at least educate folks on, on Bitcoin, 
that will go a far way just because like there, there has to be a distinction in people's mind for them to then make policy and have, and have facts to arm themselves to push back against some of the consumer protection stuff that gets pushed their way. And so the more we can arm folks against the arm folks with facts and, and education, the better, the better they'll be able to push back when Elizabeth Warren comes out with these absolutely ridiculous statements about, you know, money laundering or whatever the, the you know, whatever cycle of disinformation she's in at the moment. I think one battle that we find ourselves getting into quite often that we've tried to shy away from, you know, we at like the Bitcoin Policy Institute is this idea of, of one constantly playing defense, constantly trying to justify, you know, the negative externalities that are associated with the, the Bitcoin protocol. And then two, trying to almost outweigh those negative externalities with, you know, grandiose claims of X, Y, Z, you know, that that's going to happen. Right. And it seems like that that's something that really pissed people off in 2021 and 2022 with the crypto boom was, you know, everyone in their and their mother was saying, you know, NFTs are, are going to do X, Y, Z. Bitcoin's going to going to go to a billion, you know, a billion dollars in, in five days. You know, this exchange token is the greatest thing to ever happen, you know, since sliced bread. Like it felt like everything was unprecedented, which is a word. I, I hate that word. Right. I think most things are pretty precedented. And it's a larger example of we use words and we use phrases and we and we hyperbolize, you know, so much that these things actually lose their meaning. And I think what's happened with Bitcoin is, yeah, we are paying for the sins of the marketing of not just Bitcoin companies, but crypto you know, companies in the industry at large of making some really grand claims. Ron, to your point, like people are looking around, they're going, you told us this was going to change the world. And, and in a lot of people's minds, you know, it hasn't. Look, you can make, you know, plenty of arguments for the value of this technology. And there, and there are plenty of like great arguments that, that we make every day about that. But one of the things that I personally have, you know, kind of honed in on is these really like value-based, principles-based arguments for why this technology, you know, one is is good and, and valuable and two just deserves to exist. And the idea that, you know, we shouldn't be judging whether or not something deserves to exist based off of whether we personally think that, you know, it's great or not. And I, I've seen that shift from Bitcoiners recently, which I've really appreciated, not getting caught in some of these, I won't call them petty arguments, but I would say like losing arguments where if you are constantly defending yourself against a negative, even if you convince someone that that like negative thing that they don't like about Bitcoin isn't actually as bad as they think, they're just going to find something else, right? They're just going to find some other reason to, to say that Bitcoin isn't good or why it shouldn't exist. And so yeah, like I, I, I agree we should be, you know, letting people know about good projects and, and good things that exist out there. But, you know, largely the the, you know, battle that that we're fighting is I, I don't think it's it's, you know, convincing people that Bitcoin isn't as bad as as they really think it is. I, I think it needs to be much more muted than that in some ways. I think, you know, some of the, the ways we talk about the technology needs to change. And I agree when you sell people on on a grandiose promise and you under deliver, if that's the battle you were trying to win and then your price tanks 80% and grandma and grandpa lose a bunch of money, it doesn't matter how many cycles we've been through. It doesn't matter that 
you know, we're comfortable with volatility or, or that we say volatility is relative or any of these things. I, I, I think you set yourself up for failure when an industry's value is based on number go up or it's based on grand claims of something that's going to happen in a year or two. You know, th- this is this is a, a long-term game. Our, our time horizon is much longer than, than a decade. You can look at any innovation to realize that that, that should be the case. I, you know, I think, listen, <clears throat> it's a bridge too far to say that because Bitcoin is is good and principled and American in its nature and everybody should have the right to do Bitcoin, that we have to accept 20,000 scam tokens that are trying to defraud the general public, right? And I mean, largely this action by the SEC is going after the 20,000 scam tokens. It's not going after Bitcoin. Maybe there's a little bit of collateral damage on Bitcoin's side, but it's mainly stopping people like Andreessen Horowitz from playing three-card Monty with the general public. That's a net positive. You know what I mean? And yeah, they are going to come for Bitcoin. United States government's going to come for Bitcoin, but it's not going to be through the SEC. I think that's right. And and like I said before, it's it's going to be from the more social side or the, the environmental side. As they've shown. They've shown their hand how they're going to come after this. You know, clean through clean block mining is another thing I think they're going to try, you know, at the protocol level. Yeah. And they they've shown, I mean, in New York, right, with with the the, with the mining ban there, although we were able to get it narrowed down, it's it's still I mean, it's incredibly discriminatory. Right. I mean, you literally can can do an activity if you're any other business except for a Bitcoin miner. And so if this gets replicated, you can you can see where this can go. I mean, they they just in the president's budget, right? It was mentioned before the Dame tax, 30 percent tax on electricity used for Bitcoin mining. Where what is the next step to that? And then if you do have a change in power, what could that be applied to on the other side? Can you attack any sort of social issue or any type of business and tax their ability to use energy if you don't like their end product? if it's legal. I mean, this is, this is utterly insane. And so it's, it's a fight worth having if, if, if only not only to protect Bitcoin and the industry and the mining industry, but also to protect where this could go for, for the country and generally speaking. So I want to bring it back to this market structure bill, because I think this has a lot of effects on Bitcoin in terms of the ecosystem around it, right? How exchanges are able to operate, you know, providing clarity on a lot of these things. Yes, there's a lot of stuff that just has to do with with crypto, but I do think there is a lot of merit to the argument that, hey, we still need good on-ramps and off-ramps, off-ramps to this technology. We still need, you know, the biggest actors in this space, even if they're touching non-Bitcoin assets to, uh, you know, be good stewards of capital and, and good stewards of customer funds, because, you know, those types of things do drive institutional investment. And to Ron's point, they do drive the public and political perception in Washington, right? So we, we yeah, we need to weed out bad actors. We, we need to, you know, call like, you know, people doing illegal things. Like, I, I think we can all agree with that. But, you know, this market structure bill, like, Ron, one thing I'm really curious about is just, you know, what what's the path forward here? Because I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of some of the things I've been hearing, both positive and negative. One, you know, positive is, yeah, we've been waiting on something like this for a long time. It's really nice to to see something and to see the beginning of discussions. On the flip side, though, this is not a bipartisan discussion draft. You know, this was drafted by Republican, you know, House members. 
a positive is that it was a joint, you know, publication from, you know, Department of, or excuse me, Committee on Agriculture and House Financial Services Committee. But a year ago, we were talking about bipartisan legislation with, you know, ranking member Maxine Waters and, and uh, you know, current House Financial Services Chair Patrick McHenry, right? And that fizzled away. In fact, there are many people who will tell you that there's actually some tension there. And then months go by, you know, committees are doing hearings. And I've heard from some Democratic offices that blindsided is the wrong word. They weren't blindsided by, you know, this discussion draft. But frankly, they're a little miffed by the fact that it, it was written by Republicans and, and the Republicans in office are now saying, hey, you know, like Democrats, tell us what you think. When I think the, the language in D.C. for a long time has been, we need this to be bipartisan. We need to come to agreements together. This isn't going to work if we can't be bipartisan. So, you know, Ron, I guess my question is, you know, what, what's the path forward here? And are, you know, Democratic offices going to be able to get over some of the initial frustration that they might have of almost being boxed out from the initial drafts in order to, to come to agreements on this? Or is this just a non-starter because, because of the way that this came about? Yeah, I push back a little bit in terms of this being a on piece of, on the paper. It is two Republicans who are leading this bill. These are the two chairs. These are the, the, the men who control what bills go through their committees and what bills don't. And the chairs are ultimately the ones who have the power. So that's why I'm optimistic about this bill having some legs in the House, because if there's the two, if there's two gentlemen who can who can move any bill out of their committees, it's the two that wrote or spearheaded this legislation. Like I said, the, the bill builds off years of bipartisan bills, Dame back since like 2017, whether it be securities law, commodities law, spot market regulation, there are a lot of bipartisan elements here. But I think the, the curious thing to watch also too is you see CFTC Chair Benham, who is a Democrat, who was at the committee yesterday in front of the Agriculture Committee. And it's actually a really good hearing in terms of Democrats and Republicans being, hey, look, there's gaps in regulation here. We have to solve it. This is a good first step. But dear you know, Chair Benham, you know, what do you think else needs to be filled? And he offered some suggestions, but he's seen going forward and actually countering a lot of the claims that the SEC has, which is we don't need legislation. We don't need any more. This is the current status quo is fine. And the current status quo, if it keeps going as it is, and again, we've had conversations with folks in our membership and folks obviously in the ecosystem as well. The, what basically it looks like is that there's going to be only exchanges that offer Bitcoin. And while that might sound good for, you know, for this crowd here, I, I want to say at least for United States exchanges, if they can only offer Bitcoin, they're, the exchange is just going to go offshore, and then they're going to be offering the other tokens where they have clarity. They know what they can and can't list in, in addition to Bitcoin. And that's going to drive innovation away. It's going to drive jobs away. But also it's going to be you know, perplexing when there's one that goes under and U.S. consumers are going to be left kind of high and dry, kind of we're seeing right now with the FTX and the current creditor situation over there. So you know, I think that it's important to, A, like I said, the crypto ecosystem, while Congress views us all as one entity, and we know that's not the case. I think it's important that we all like support each other here in this effort because a market structure bill not only helps Bitcoin, but it helps the ecosystem as a whole and here in the United States. So I think going forward, path forward, the main concern is that we have the Agriculture Committee and the CFTC chair seem like they're buying into this. And I think we have Democrats on that committee looking like they're going to support this legislation. The problem is when we get to the Financial Services Committee, and that hearing is going to be next week on Tuesday. The SEC has been really digging their heels into getting into members of Congress on the Democrat side and reiterating that they don't need legislation. 
they think the rules are clear. Interestingly enough, that's a pivot from what they said in 2021 and 2022 when the SEC and the Democrats are saying, let's regulate this you know, pretty heavily. Not all Democrats, but, but the lead ones are saying, let's regulate this very, very heavily. This industry is out of compliance. Now they've pivoted and saying, no, we're good. We don't need legislation. It probably co- coincides with the Republicans taking the House. So this is where politics kind of gets in the way of everything. And our, you know, at least what we're trying to do is trying to get politics out of it and just say, look, this is just a matter of fact of like good regulation. Sure, it's not a giveaway to the industry. You know, there's a there's a lot of registration requirements. There's a lot of engagement with the SEC if you're launching a token. A lot of folks might not like that, but there are ways. I mean, there are clear rules in the bill. What happens when the SEC doesn't give an opinion? When the CFTC gets involved, and that's important to have that process because that does not exist right now. So path forward, I. I think right now, this bill, Republican only or bipartisan, I'm going to say it's me bipartisan, will pass the House sometime this year. Some folks are saying late summer. I'm not entirely sure about that, but I'd say we at least will see if these bills move out of their respective committees, which is step one, sometime probably before the end of July. Then we'll probably see some floor votes and a little schoolhouse rock. Then if it passes the House, it'll go to the Senate. The Senate is going to be the hardest body to influence. One, because the Senate doesn't pass that many bills at all on anything. The Banking Committee, which is the respective Senate version of the House Financial Service Committee, they haven't had a vote on a single bill in almost four years. That's, it's pretty crazy, but that's the, that's the – when the Democrats had the House and the Democrats had the Senate, even the Democrat Senate didn't advance the Democrat House bills. So that just shows how slow of a committee this is. And so that's why I think this market structure bill is important. I don't want to get too much into the weeds here, but it involves another committee, the Agriculture Committee, as we talked about. And that committee does move bills. They do it on a bipartisan basis. And they almost did move a bill on crypto last year. For those who recall, the DCCPA, which was the bill that SBF was really lobbying hard here in D.C. So I think, you know, if I say this, you know, why I'm optimistic is that, A, we have a path forward in the House and B, we have a committee, the Senate Agriculture Committee, which has a history of working on bipartisan bills. And has a history of working on crypto legislation because right now, and I think this is why the stablecoin bill is in a little trouble, is because the Senate Banking Committee, even if you get that past the House, they just don't vote on bills. And so that's a really hard factor here on the political side, a little inside baseball. But like that's kind of where I see it. And that's why, again, I'm very optimistic, but it still has a long path forward. And this bill goes nowhere if it's only Republicans. Really quick, I want to highlight something from what you just said, like, Guys, this means, you know, everybody in in the audience listening, if you're at a Bitcoin company, you know, reach out to some of these legislators, right? If you've got a head of public affairs, if you work with uh, some other organization, right, like reach out and out, you know, dig into this stuff. There's some really like, yes, it's dense, 160 pages. I'm not saying you need to read, you know, through through all that. But like if, if you care about this and what the structure of this looks like, you know, this is the time all of these offices are taking comments right now. Like they're, they're asking for information. They want to hear from stakeholders on how this would affect them. And so a great example of that is, you know, there's a provision in the discussion draft that talks about exchanges needing to use, you know, qualified custodians to host digital assets, right? And so the idea is that this would prevent an FTX situation where a company can say, hey, we have 86,000 Bitcoin. And in fact, they have zero, right? So if you're a Bitcoin company or you're a Bitcoin exchange, how does that affect you? You know, figure it out. Like, let, let us know. Let BTC Coalition know. Let Ron know. Let 
you're like these Congress people know this is the time. Like I'll, I'll tell you from the conversations that we've had with offices, almost everybody is still wrapping their head around this. Like none of this is codified. None of it's set in stone. And to Ron's point, there's going to have to be a lot of collaboration in order to get this, you know, in a position where it actually has a path forward, not just through the house, but especially, you know, through, through the Senate as well. So yeah, just call to action, kind of call to arms. Like this is the time. If you want to have an impact on something, this is, this is the time. I personally would, would love to see this bill get voted on the Senate, if only to see who our allies are. <laughs> Just if only to see, you know, the there are a lot of folks that want to make the rounds in the in the crypto fund in the crypto and Bitcoin fundraising circles, but to actually see when they're actually put to a vote, how they vote on something like this would be very helpful to see, and not only from. I, let me not even limit it to our allies, but also to, you know, people voting against it. I mean, the just for folks on the on the on the call who maybe aren't too familiar with 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 the, the Warren allies, but Warren's Warren's partnership, Senator Elizabeth Warren's partnership with Senator Marshall, who is a Republican from Kansas, is one of the most irking things to me that kind of speaks back to the point of this being a generally generational issue these are two politicians that couldn't be further removed from each other on almost every single issue you can imagine but on this one issue they've come together with with one of the most draconian proposals which luckily has has been tabled and not taken seriously right now but just to show you how far people are willing to reach from from their from their base just to get a piece of the, this issue under their belt. So it's it's something that we have to be aware of, like who actually are our allies and who are gonna, who is who are the folks going to be voting against us. And if we can get some clarity on that, um, it would be super helpful for the future. So I want to wrap up here in a few minutes. Kyle, Ron, would both of you be comfortable? It looks like we have a few people requesting to speak. I'm not sure if they questions but would you be comfortable taking you know one or two questions before we hop off yeah happy to sure cool all right if you're uh, requesting to speak i'm gonna bring one or two of you up here see if you have a question or comment interested in hearing from you let's see all right al pacino your speaker. You got a question, comment? Great stuff. All right, exhilarating content here, everybody. Apologies. <laughs> if anybody else has something, it looks like two other people just stopped requesting. We got uh, Aaron. I was, I was really hoping for a Pacino impression there. I have to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it would have been great. What, what does Pacino think about Bitcoin? Aaron, glad to have you back up here again. Yeah, sure. I think there was just a queue of people waiting to speak, so it's probably others too. I something I think Ron was saying earlier was this market structure bill would drive these altcoin exchanges offshore. Just something for context. So I, I hear a lot of people have similar rhetoric, like, you know, you can't stop these people, they're just gonna go offshore. Well, for context, the United States securities markets, the NASDAQ and the New York Stock Exchange, AMX, ECNs, OTC markets, et cetera. Process, I don't know, quadrillions of dollars annually. 
They are the largest securities exchanges in the world. If these are securities, why can't they trade on securities exchanges? I, what, I don't understand like the argument that we need to have these unregistered securities exchanges for American investors. Like the logic just falls apart immediately when I hear a lot of these arguments. So the SEC continues to say like, we're very clear. And by the way, here are 40, 50, 60, full, full rations. Hey, sorry guys, why. can anyone hear him? Yes, I, I can. I yes. can try to summarize if you can hear me, Ron. Yeah, I can hear I'll, I can believe just join back. I'm not sure why I can't hear him. Gotcha. Aaron, you mind if and, I try to kind of yeah, summarize sure. your point or you want to finish up? Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, looks like he's rejoining. But yeah, no, re- really quick. I think it's a really interesting point and it gets to this idea of having good on-ramps and off-ramps, you know, for, for you know, Bitcoin custody. And so the question is, yeah, you know, if let's say Binance and Coinbase, if the things that the SEC alleges to be the case, you know, if the courts find that you know, SEC and Binance have, have broken these these rules and let's say, you know, these, uh, let's say these exchanges are like, all right, you know, we're not going to comply. We're just going to stop doing business in, in the U.S. The question is like, is there a hydro effect, right? Do we just see other exchanges taking their place that are complying? Does that have a long-term impact on, on Bitcoin? Does that lead to, you know, less institutional investment? That's kind of the perspective that I come at this from is, yeah, I, I, I totally hear your point, but I do wonder if the two biggest- I mean, yeah, know, but I'm just concerned with the speculation like well we have to just kind of let that happen because yeah like, what if they just go offshore my argument is we already have the largest securities exchanges in the world they work very well they attract i don't know a third plus of the world's global wealth trade on our exchanges i think you know with whatever five percent of the world's population having 40 percent of the world's wealth trading on its exchanges we're doing okay people like our exchanges they work pretty well they're regulated by the sec which has been around for i don't know almost a century and they've done that job of overseeing the, those markets as they've grown from, you know, proportional to our population to now, you know, way into population. So if you're asking for the SEC to like step aside and say, well, you know, you've done a great job, but we should have these other exchanges that don't follow the rules because it's crypto. Like, I just don't get that argument whatsoever. Kyle, Ron, any thoughts? So the, my own, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. And I, at, at least if I, if I think I'm understanding everything right, is that a lot of the, the companies that are coming under fire from the SEC are, are saying, look, we've been trying to register with you. We have been trying to come into compliance. We have been trying to work with you. We've been acting in good faith for years and years now, and you're not giving us a path forward you're creating roadblocks, you're creating a bureaucratic morass that does not allow us to, to operate with in compliance and still function at the same time. And, and then all of a sudden we get Wells notices or we get, we get sued or what, what have you. And so I, I think there's a general feeling that the idea is not to have, have these folks come into the fold and, and operate comfortably, but to destroy the ones that are here and, and have them be either have have other companies pick up those pieces and assemble them into a much more centralized, even more centralized function, maybe within current 
you know, Wall Street banks or, or what have you. That's, I think, part of the the, the suspicions here. Does, does sure, that get yeah. some of the question? It does. It does. But also, I've read through these. So I've read 40 explanations from all five commissioners agreeing on why certain assets are securities. And it pretty much goes, you know, from the top 100 page of CoinMarketCap. So Cardano, Solana, Algorand, Ripple, so et cetera. So in all of these examples, it's very nuanced. So the the actions of the promoters of these things did very different things. Some of them set up a bunch of entities. They had a bunch of, you know, things to obfuscate, whatever. But they all, you know, they all were trying to not be a security while being a security. So they had, they were raising money. They were telling people that they were going to do a bunch of things to increase the value of the thing that they were going to build in the future. And because they wanted to make money based on the efforts of those central, you know, insiders. So when they, then after they do all that, they raise money, they, they have a free mind, they have some sort of bonding curve, they have some sort of I don't know, preferential equipment agreement or whatever scheme they have to like get the money to the inside group who promotes the thing and then does a bunch of marketing and then people invest money because they want to make money and then the insiders sell. Then they say, well, we've been trying to talk with the SEC about registering this thing. Well, what is there to talk about? The SEC is, (laughs) the SEC is not going to give you a no action letter because you've already done the thing. Like you can't like go back in time and do these things. Like you did these things and if you now say that you're a good faith actor and i don't know you have 50 million dollars personally or you're a billionaire and and you're donating to philanthropy and and you're pro bitcoin and you're you know you're you're donating core devs all that is just the proceeds of what you already did in the past so it i don't know it just doesn't again it doesn't really add up to me like it's it's pretty clear like jay clayton while he was chairman said every ico i have ever seen was an unregistered security. He said that. And then Chair Gensler, the next chairman said, I find myself agreeing with Jay Clayton and he quote Jay said. So I don't see what's unclear about this. So I'll, I'll build off Kyle's point here too, because I think this is, you know, not to get into the legal stuff here, because again, I, I'm not a lawyer here, but and I don't want to, to, to misspeak on, on behalf of these tokens here, but I think this is just more just the view of what the SEC under the chair Gensler is. And the best summarize, I would say, with he's not going just after the you know exchanges here. It's Wells' noses are going out to everyone in the ecosystem. DeFi folks were about two years ago. There's still some folks getting Wells' noses now. The NFT folks are starting to get some Wells' noses. Yeah, if you operate a securities folks, exchange, it's the problem. I mean, well, the thing is also that the SEC, at least under this this, this chair, does view that their jurisdiction is pretty vast and wide. You know, I talked to Commissioner Hester Peirce at the Texas Blockchain Council event about a year and a half ago. And this is right when the DeFi folks were getting a lot of the Wells Gnosis or conversations just to come in and have a conversation about to explain their platform. And a lot of the DeFi exchange were coming to us at Blockchain Association saying, look, we got this email saying, please come in and explain your product. We'd love to learn more about it. And a lot of folks who ended up going in end up either getting potential wells, we got wells notice, or they got some pretty intense conversation with the enforcement division rather than with the FinHub division, which is supposed to be the ones asking questions about just how things work. And so when I asked Commissioner Purse on stage in a public setting, what's your advice to companies who get these emails from the SEC? What should they do? And her direct response said, don't do it. Do not go in. Don't talk to the SEC. This is the SEC commissioner. This is one of five. And she said, do not come in. 
Yeah, because okay, so if you if you're getting a Wells notice from the SEC, which is a, well, the, a well, letter, these are emails a letter saying talking about in regards to just explain the product. And, okay, uh, well, even if, okay, so if it's a Wells notice, so the SEC is saying we are going to sue you, and if you want to make a final argument before we do, please do so now. Otherwise, it's a Wells notice. So, if you get that notice, and I don't know, it says something like you operated an exchange that traded Ripple, which we've said for years is an unregistered security, or Algorand, or Solana, or BUSD, or UST, or uh, Axie Infinity or Filecoin, whatever, any of the ones that the SEC has notified publicly on its website that these are unregistered securities. You had an exchange, so this is a problem. You you didn't register, and there's all these information disclosures you need to make to the public in order to operate such a product. So what are you going to do? Like, you're not going to – her advice is probably good advice. Like, yeah, you're you, – you have problems. You probably don't want to see more and talk because there could be an, a lawsuit against you. Again, what a hard this was mostly on the yeah, in the terms of just the informational gathering phase from the FinHub division, nothing involving enforcement or anything like that. But I think that the, the the macro thing I was trying to explain here is that the SEC, at least under, again under this current regime, is going after everything in the ecosystem. This is not targeted certain tokens solely or certain exchanges. This is after multiple lines of businesses here, and other regulators have fought back against the. the SEC as well. Democrat on Democrats. It's a pretty rare to see. Stablecoins is a good example where the SEC said all those are securities. And the SEC is not the enemy. The SEC just wants the projects and the operators to tell the truth. So now we found out, for example, no one's ever heard of this lady, Guanying Chen, who was the signatory to dozens of Binance entities holding billions of dollars of customer assets. And Binance was commingling its corporate funds with customer assets. It was washed trading tokens on its own exchanges, all of these according to the SEC allegations. If any of this thing is true, then CZ has just been lying, lying repeatedly for years about billions of dollars. So the SEC is not the enemy here. It's just disclosing to the public there's a risk. The risk is you thought Binance US was a separate entity. Turns out Binance is all of the assets. You thought Binance US was a United States registered thing in compliance with the law that funds are SAFU, that, you know, it's it's registered and operating in compliance with a lot. Turns out CZ and his once lover have all of the keys. All of your funds are offshore. This mission is new. The public didn't know this. The public didn't know some woman has is signatory to bank accounts that are washing around tens of millions of dollars, including to her own personal bank account for undisclosed reasons, that the auditors are dis, are disagreeing with the numbers of the of the entity and the attestations of attorneys offshore and all these numbers are conflicting the, the public doesn't know all this they think their funds are safe they think that binance is not faking its trading volume because cz's repeatedly said we don't fake our trade volume well it turns out according to the SEC allegations they have been faking up to 99 percent of the trading volume on certain assets at certain times so you know like we just need the information the sec is not like the enemy here the sec just wants the projects to tell the whole truth so we're over time, so I want to wrap up here, but I, I think it's a good note to, to end on, which is, you know, one of the things that we really hammer on when we're meeting with offices is the, this idea of transparency, right? And, and, you know, pushing for policies that include, yeah, things like proof of reserves, for example, right? And ensuring that an exchange says that they have, you know, a certain amount of something, you know, Bitcoin, that they actually have that. Or, you know, what? These are all, yeah, pretty standard things that, you know, a healthy market has to has to comply with. And so the 
kind of larger theme that I, again, made at, at the beginning of this is even if a lot of this doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin on the surface, it has all of these second and third order effects that do affect Bitcoin. And if we have the largest companies that are, you know, buy, people can buy and sell Bitcoin on and they're acting improperly, like that needs to be weeded out. And so I'll end with kind of my two cents, which is, you know, a lot of people, like a lot of these offices kind of ask, like, in some way, shape or form, like, what, you know, what do you hope happens as a result from these, the, the SEC filings or what are you expecting to happen? I got the same questions post FTX. I'm getting the same questions now. And my answer has remained pretty consistent, which is if there are bad actors, they need to be weeded out. And I'd rather them be weeded out sooner than later. And so there's a misconception that, you know, like someone like Aaron, for example, right, with your viewpoints, there's a misconception. I think that a lot of people think, hey, you're out for blood. You want to see people lose money. You want to see these companies go down. And I don't think that that's, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's what you're getting at because that's certainly not. Nope. I want the information. Exactly. I just want the information so I can make exactly. my own Exactly. And, and that, that's, you know, where I, where I land as well is if there's bad actors, like I'd rather find out now than five years from now. I'd rather find out when FTX is a $32 billion company than a $320 billion company. And, and I think if, if there is, you know, good stuff and valuable stuff in this ecosystem broadly, then yeah, it needs to comply with, with existing regulations and if people think that there needs to be like you know new regulation then needs to comply with that as well and so that that's the big takeaway here at the end is there's an opportunity now if you are so interested to actually influence what the new rules look like for this ecosystem like that that is that is happening right now and so i just encourage everybody like you know the fact that you're listening shows me that you're interested in being involved Figure out your way to be involved. Yeah, they want to hear from stakeholders. I come back to this over and over. Bitcoin makes up over 40% of the, the crypto market cap, and it doesn't make up 40% of the advocacy in DC. And so if you're someone at a Bitcoin company and you have thoughts on crypto market structure, you have thoughts on qualified custodians, you have thoughts on what a decentralized network looks like, like any of this stuff, like we, we, we need to hear a Bitcoin perspective. Because that, that's how we're, we're going to get this right. So I appreciate everybody being on here. We're going to close out. Any last words, closing thoughts from anybody on stage here? Grant, I'll just say thanks for having me. It was, it was really great to speak with everybody. Appreciate everybody's points, including Aaron's. And I, I certainly will say that I think everybody listening here would agree that one of the main principles that we all try to adhere to is do your own research. And if there's anybody out there who's trying to manipulate your ability to do your own research, which is, I think, part of what's Aaron saying is that, like, if information is not being shared and, and our ability to research is being manipulated, that's something that nobody wants to, to get behind. And so, you know, it's something to take into consideration. And I'll just double down that we have to understand also the, the motivations of the leaderships at some of these organizations like the SEC, which I think their main mission and the people working in the trenches are trying to do the right thing. But sometimes when you have leadership that is other motivations, it can take it in a in a kind of a discriminatory path, take it down a discriminatory path. And so I, I think it's it's good to bear that in mind while also recognizing that there are a lot of people working in government at all the agencies and all the three letter agencies that we tend to throw around and and sort of 
anthropomorphize into one person, but there are a lot of like normal folks working, trying to do a good job. We just have to be careful of this very senior appointee class that can over politicize everything. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I'll be quick. Thanks, Graham and Bitcoin Max. We'll just close with my personal opinion is that I could care less. Zero nada about whether their forms are in place on the SEC system, whether a company is registered or whatever document filled in the form correctly on the SEC staff. What all I care about is that if we're going to have a system that requires companies to disclose the truth, then when they're selling securities, then we have to just apply that. If we're, if we're going to abandon that, fine. I don't, if that's so, no, let's just have any company able to lie and there's no repercussions. Anyone can lie. They can just tell whatever parts of the truth they want, withhold whatever parts they want. And everyone, it's just a free for all. And let's just figure it out. Free market stuff. But if we're going to have a system where com- companies, issuers of securities have to tell the truth, then let's just apply that evenly. And let's not say that it's different because it's crypto. You know, I'll end the, you know, good conversation. Honestly, great work, Grant, for all you do here in D.C. as well, you know, across the nation. Grant and a lot of the advocates here in D.C. are working tirelessly. It's, we're definitely going up against some pretty strong forces from the bank lobby uh, to some pretty powerful regulators and some other entities are trying to, you know, get us from all sides, whether it be the environmental groups or what have you. So, so really, you know, keep supporting the Bitcoin Policy Institute and all the great work they're doing, as well as uh, other folks here in D.C., because we know we all, we're all on the same team here at the end of the day. We want to make sure we get you know, the right regulation passed and making sure that we can have the United States be the lead here. So and continue to be the lead here because it seems that we're slipping in a couple of states. So overall, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Chris and Bitcoin Magazine. We're going we're gonna to sign off. Thanks, everybody, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Have a good one. Talk to you guys soon. Peace. Thank you, Miami, for the last three years in this amazing city. The whole world shut down, but Miami welcomed us with open arms. We want to show Bitcoin to the whole world. We are taking the conference on the road to set the stage for Bitcoin in a new city. Nashville. Bitcoin 2024 is coming to Nashville in Tennessee, a city that is known as a music and freedom city. Bitcoin 2024 in Nashville from July 25th to 27th. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.